read one verse. We're going to jump in, and I'm not going to get very far. I'm just going to tell you that right up. We're going to do one of the, you know, I told you last week we had six points, and last week we did two. Today, today we're going to do one. Okay, so I'm going to, I'll make sure you know that right up front. Jeremiah chapter 29. By the way, what's wrong with the front row? It's, it's so glaringly obvious. Is this like the uh, splash zone or what, you know? Uh, I, I'm not sure, but, but I know we always set up extra seats in the back. But uh, believe it or not, we do set up enough, uh, we, these little pods where there are twos or fours. And occasionally there's, you know, obviously some families that are larger and we do our best to accommodate that way. But I don't know what it is, Pat. Maybe we ought to just ditch the front row altogether. Um, because every week we've got our ushers setting up extra seats in the back because, I, I don't know, what's the matter? Are you scared? <laughs> you know, I don't know. But, uh, it, you know, if it was the final four, would you ask for seats in the back or down? If it was the Super Bowl, would you ask for seats in the, uh, I want to get the farthest from the field I possibly can. And uh, I know I'm no Damian Lillard or Tom Brady or anything like that. By the way, how many of you saw Damian Lillard's uh, two threes in less than nine seconds? Ridiculous. But anyway, um, so, um, hey, let's, uh, these seats are fine. We've tested these. Um, There's there's really nothing wrong with the front row, but it is, (coughs) um, it is probably the most neglected thing in church the front row Um, but hey it's all good you're here and I'm glad you're here so let's jump in Jeremiah 29 11 for I know the thoughts that I think toward you saith the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you unexpected in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 and verse 6 (coughs) now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen it's the only time in the Bible where faith is defined in clear terms verse 6 but without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him the title of the message is a continuation and, and we'll be on it next week I'm sure um, as well but the title of the message is trust the plan er not the plan I mentioned it last week, so I'll not belabor it very much, but there's been much said over the last few weeks and months about, uh, you know, there's a plan. There, by the way, there always has been a plan. Um, it's just that we're not privy to it, and neither is anybody else. It's God's plan. Uh, now, he does reveal certain things about it. Um, he, it was his plan to create the world. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, he started it. It's his idea. And so the very first point that we gave you from last week was God designed a plan, and the first component of his plan was to raise. He raised a world, and he raised a people. Uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And by the way, that's where our foundation of our faith starts. If you have any questions, for instance, if you subscribe to the hellish teaching of evolution, and, and by the way, it's not a stretch to call it that. Because it wasn't hatched in heaven, it was hatched someplace else. And I'm not trying to, listen, don't even try to raise the question, do you trust the science? I've heard that phrase so many times. You know, wear one mask, wear two masks, wear three masks, wear four masks, here a mask, there a mask, everywhere a mask, mask. You know, and, and, and to be honest with you, science does this. 
It always has, and it's been as clear throughout this pandemic as anything we've ever seen. Okay, you can you can get angry and I'm not trying to get political, but it's gone all over the place. My daughter's in Florida and uh, we Florida's wide open, wide open. I mean, uh, I'm thinking about taking my wife there on a date Friday. But no, seriously, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I you know, I know people literally that are looking for states that they can visit just so they can have have a time to eat out at a restaurant. And they're wide open, um, you know, and I've got a friend that was there, and he told me, he said, man, he said, we went to a restaurant for lunch and supper every day we were there, just because we had the opportunity to go out and eat. And their numbers are no different uh, statistically and percentage-wise than other parts of the country. And I'm not, I'm not getting onto the political thing. I'm just saying, science is like this, okay? And it's, it's whoever you want to talk to, but... Uh, um, Anyhow, I, I, I can't keep running down that road because I want to stick to the message. But God says, let God be true and every man a liar. Every man. That leaves no one out of the equation, including me, and including anyone that's ever drawn a breath. And most of what you hear is always slanted and tainted from a particular persuasion and what they feel about something. Um, you know, we, we, we call it, you know, twisting and uh, spinning is a word they'll use sometimes. But God doesn't do that. And so God's plan from the very beginning was to raise a world and then secondly, raise a people. Male and female created he them. And if you don't like that teaching or you don't subscribe to that teaching, then you deny biblical science. Okay. Now, I hit on it a little bit last week. I'm not going to hit on it necessarily today unless the Lord directs me down that road. But that's God's plan. He raised a world and he raised a people. Then secondly, God's plan was to redeem. uh, Because he knew that you and I would need to be bought back. And uh, in this life, we have no hope apart from the finished work of Jesus Christ. No hope. There is no chance. You're not good enough. None of us ever have been, ever will be. You and I deserve hell. We deserve judgment, condemnation, and damnation from God. Don't ever, you know, it's easy for us sometimes to look in another direction and say, well, I can see why they need the judgment of God. Here, I can tell you why I need the judgment of God. I mean, you, you have to understand, we are all sinners. We came to this world speaking lies. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's not a just man, the Bible says, upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. That's us. That's the heart of man. But God loved us so much that he designed a plan sacrificing his son from the very dawn of time. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So from the very beginning, God knew you and I were going to go astray and need redemption, and he set in motion the plan of Calvary. Jesus Christ did not come to be the babe in the manger. He, beca- he came to be the propitiation for your sin, the substitute for your sin and my sin at Calvary. Christmas was about Calvary not the manger. Christmas was about the crucifixion and the empty tomb, uh, not Bethlehem. And it's important for us to never forget that. And so when we, we hear expressions like, trust the plan, trust the planner, know this, God said, 
My plan was to raise a world, raise a people, and then bring them back to me. Any person that ever dies without God has broken against the will of God. Because God says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Sometimes we may think, I think of the most vile, despicable, abominable sin that you could ever think of. And by the way, when we do that, we exclude ours. And all sin is exceedingly sinful to God. Every bit of it. Our best days are a stench in the nostrils of a holy God. And yet, God said, I'm going to buy you back, and I don't want anybody to miss it. Anyone who's ever drawn a breath. And if you're here today, and you're unsettled about eternity, you don't know for sure that heaven's your home, you will miss the very design of God's plan. You understand that? The, the very reason you are here, aside from bringing honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, all things are created by Him, and for His pleasure they are and were created. We know that. But when you drew your first breath, when you were in your mother's womb as a human, as a child, in God's infinite design, when you were conceived, God set in motion the opportunity for you to be saved. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. And if you die at rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you die lost, you will have missed the entire reason you're here. Now think about that. Sometimes people say, well, I need to find out what my purpose is. Purpose one, get saved. Everything else falls into place. That's God's plan. I'm going to raise a world, I'm going to raise a people, and then I'm going to buy them back. I'm going to redeem them. Then thirdly, God's plan has always been for man to have an opportunity to come back in means of revival. I want to talk about that for a few moments this morning. Because I, I think it is one of the, we hear about it, we read about it in history, but sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, well, that was then. God has not changed and sin is no different today than it was thousands of years ago. He destroyed entire cities because of wickedness. So don't ever think that you or I are immune from the judgment of God. Now, I know God hath not appointed us to wrath, and that's a different story for another day. But the fact is, you are not immune from God's heavy hand coming down upon you, me, corporately, nationally, or globally. And sometimes it takes that for God to bring us back. You know, a lot of us are asking God to fix this mess. Right? God, would you just expose all the crookedness in Hollywood? God, would you just bring to light all the wickedness in the political realm and the spectrums and, and all of those bad people in D.C. and in Salem and wherever they may be, Republican, Democrat, or Independent, would you just bring it all to light? But not my sin. Because I'm okay with mine. I mean, because I don't practice it to excess, first of all. And secondly, it's not as bad as that.
what does God think about your cries for the revelation of wrong in the lives of others when you and I are content to live in our own sin? It's like sitting in a pen of poop and asking God to clean your neighbor's backyard. Was that too crude? But that's what we have become in Christianity. Because remember the cry from God in 2 Chronicles 7.14 is first of all it's to you. It's not to the Clinton Foundation. It's not to Epstein. It's not to all of that. It's not to those wicked left-leaning governors who are taking away all of our freedoms. I'm not denying any of that. I'm simply saying the call came to the righteous. God, why don't you do something about this? God in heaven, I think, many times is saying, uh, Hello? Because the real question for us ought to be, what sin is okay in your heart? What wrong is okay in your life? I, listen, I, I, I really got convicted about this a few weeks ago. Because I was really praying. I said, God, please let truth come out. God, please reveal the wrong and wickedness in our land. And the Holy Spirit said, can I reveal yours? It stopped me right in the middle of my prayer. I mean, I was going good. Man, I was on fire. Fuego, man. I was, I was rolling. God, would you do this and bring justice and judgment and truth and revival? And God said, what about that that's in your heart. Can we not talk about that right now? I'm dealing with some real serious heavy stuff in somebody else's life, in somebody else's heart. I think one of the reasons our country is in such division and we see sin running rampant and we sometimes pause and say, I can't believe America is like this. I was reading a statement by Francis Schaeffer from 50 years ago. He said, the day is soon coming when we will not recognize our America. But why has it happened? Well, it's happened because of those politicians. Well, it's happened because of that Hollywood crowd. Well, it's happened because of the music industry. Oh, it's happened because of this and because of that. Do you honestly think that God cannot heal our land? I think one of the biggest reasons is he's waiting on you. And I'm including me, by the way. I'm talking about us corporately. He's waiting on those who claim the name of Jesus Christ, profess to be born again, 
but you know, you've kind of got used to yours. In fact, it really doesn't smell as bad anymore. You know, it's, I mean, I know I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven, and I'll get back with you later, God, on the rest. Because right now, I'm just going to live my life. I'm, I'm going to make sure that I'm comfortable. I'm going to make sure that I'm cared for. I'm going to enjoy this life. I've got so many things in my bucket list that I want to do. And I really, I know that not everything's perfect, but I should read my Bible more. Okay. I'll pray more. Okay, maybe I'll pass out a track there. That, that covers some things. But we never get down to business. You know, when you go to a doctor, a doctor tells you, of course, they're practicing medicine. We understand that. And they, you know, they, they have good evidence for what they tell you. But sometimes you'll go and you'll get another opinion. But at the end of the day, they'll tell you, you got to do this. You can walk out, neglect, and not address what they're telling you. And most of the time, you'll pay the consequences unless they were wrong. But if it's something that's very clear and their diagnosis is clear, they'll say, this is what you need to do. There's no guess on this. It's not like, well, I know what that says, but let me get another opinion. I, I know that, you know, and that, that, was, that was then and this is now. I, the Lord, I change not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he gives us this little map here. Revive. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. He's not talking about the Philistines. He's not addressing the Amalekites. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. My people, which claim my name. That's you and me. So I, I want to I look at the word revive that we find throughout Scripture. Psalm 85, verse 6, Will thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? David's prayer, David's cry. God, would you do that once more? Because when you do, rejoicing will come because they've been revived. I think it's very clear that each and every one of us at some point, window, or season of our life need a shot in the arm. Or as my dad would say, a kick in the pants. Because we've grown callous and cold, we just kind of get used to things. We're good. We're okay. I don't, I don't really want to, you know. You know. In fact, I wasn't even coming to plan and hear this today. I came for the business meeting. You know, and I, I, I'll go ahead and sit through this, but I really don't want to have to do a lot of changing. I mean, I, I like my life. So I'd rather not have to mess it up. You know what? God is so amazing, so wonderful, and he'll let you do that. You don't have to get revived in your heart. But you'll lose your joy. In fact, I would say this. If, if we are away from God this morning, you don't have joy right now. 
Now, I don't know who that may be. I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. Nobody's come to mind. I'm speaking to me first because remember, it was me who was praying several weeks ago. God exposed, reveal, and the Holy Spirit said, what about you, bud? So, will I not revive us again that thy people may rejoice? <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 57. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. <clears throat> With him also that is a contrite and humble spirit to revive, there's that word again, to revive the spirit of the humble, and derive the heart of the contrite ones. It's why starting tonight for a few weeks, we're going to talk about that humility in the word humble as it's found in Scripture. So I'm going to, I'm going to mention a few things this morning, and I'm going to use the word revive as it's found in Scripture and break this down word by word. And I read this a number of years ago, and I, <coughs> I kept it in my file, so it's not unique to me. The message part is, but the, the uh, acrostic revive is not unique to me. Leonard Ravenhill, who was a preacher from a bygone era, he said, as long as you, Christian, and I was reading it to me, are content to live without revival, you will. And you know, most of Christianity, we talk a big game. But we really, really are okay. And as long as you're okay, God won't step in. You see, because most of our praying becomes, it's not really God-sized praying. It doesn't demand God's intervention. It doesn't command his attention. Our praying is, Lord, bless the food. Help pastor tomorrow when he preaches. Help this missionary that comes to mind. And, oh, yeah, I've got this friend whose mother is sick in the hospital and help her. And I'm not belittling any of that praying. But that's about it for the average. And so if we're content to live that way, we will. So let's look at the word revival, revive from an acrostic. The first one is the word repent. Repent. Let me ask you this. <coughs> is there a sin that the Holy Spirit has already spoken to you about today? Don't raise your hand. I'm not asking for confession. But if the Holy Spirit has brought that to your attention today, it means he wants you to address it. Now, here's what happens. Most of the time, we don't. You know why? Because we know what it means. Because when we really true repentance is very different than, oh, yeah, my bad. That's not repentance. True repentance is, you got me. No, that's not, that's not repentance. True repentance is not, yes, okay, you're right. For instance, uh, Exodus, I think it's chapter 9, verse 27. I don't have it in my notes. It's just coming to memory right now, but I think it's Exodus 9, 27. When Pharaoh said, the Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. Pharaoh said that. If I didn't tell you who said that, you'd say, well, that's some great prophet. The Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. Did he repent? No. He never did repent. He made a public acknowledgement to Moses, I'm okay, I'm going I'm to let you go. But then he went right back to keeping them hostage. 
That was not repentance. Repentance is not sitting in church and saying, well, this is good, Pastor, and I I wish so-and-so was here because, man, they need this. In fact, I'm going to tell them to watch it later because this is for them. No, no, no. You see, because every time the Word of God deals with repent, it talks to me and to you. See, sometimes we make the mistake and think, well, I repented once. No, you never stop repenting. You have not arrived at anything spiritually, nor have I. Because we still have this that we're carting around every day. And it controls our thoughts, our words, our actions, where we go, what we see, what we do. And so the the reminder to us is, is to repent. Paul said, for godly sorrow, there's a big difference. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. See, so many people have, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right, I feel bad. And, and I'll say this. On an average Sunday morning, I'll ask the question from time to time, did God speak to your heart about anything today? And uh, last week, for instance. Last week, for instance, probably over half the crowd raised their hands, God spoke to me. Here's the real question. Did you do anything about it? And I'm not going to ask you to write it down. I don't need a testimony. But, but did, it, did it change you in any way? Or did you just hear, oh, that's good. That's good. That helped me. Or do you, do you leave? Do, do we leave? And I'm speaking to me too. Do we leave? And we're no different. We're no better. We're, we're no change. We're no closer to God. We just, yeah, that was good. And we mark church on Sunday off our list. And we go back to living our life as we always did before. That is a repentance that is repented of. That is going to the doctor when he tells you, you got to fix this, you got to change this, and you say, yes, I know you're right, and I plan to someday. But I still got to finish off those double-stuffed Oreos in the cabinet. I know I'm not supposed to be eating those things, and I, I know I need to get rid of the salty popcorn or whatever, and I, I'm supposed to stay off that. I know that, and I plan to. And I'm using that as a simple illustration, but the fact is, spiritually, it's, it's far more significant and consequential. But most of us, we're the same. You know the guy who wrote this? When he wrote it, nobody wondered if he meant it. Because the evidence was so real, so glaring, so convincing, so convicting, so challenging. that When the Apostle Paul spoke, you listened. I mean, think about who the Apostle Paul was. He said, I'm the least of all the apostles. Then he would write later, I'm the least of all the saints. Then finally, as he writes to Timothy in one of his last letters, he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. He realized that every time God was speaking about someone through him, and he was pinning the words of Scripture, he realized, I am woefully short of where I should be. So we were... Genuine repentance changes not. In 19, 
48, a small town in Kansas, there was a man named Al Johnson. Al Johnson and two of his friends robbed a bank. Al Johnson wasn't a career criminal by any stretch. In fact, he had never really done much at all. But Al Johnson and his two friends robbed a bank, and they made away with just a little less than $1,000 cash. Back in those days, it was a lot of money. 1000 bucks still not bad today, but it's not like it was back in the 40s, just, just after World War II. They divvied up the money and parted ways, and I think each of them got right around 300 bucks, a little less than 300 bucks cash. At the time of the bank robbery, there were two men who were fleeing a scene in close proximity to that town, and they were involved in a fatal accident. The two men were killed. And so for years, they thought the two men who were fleeing the police involved in an accident were also the bank robbers, though no cash had ever been recovered. Well, Kansas law at that time stated that... uh, you had two years to open an investigation on a criminal case like robbery. And two years had passed. They never opened the case. Four years later, it's 1952, Al Johnson is attending a church service with his wife and little baby child who's just a few months old. In that service, Al Johnson gets saved. Holy Spirit brings to his attention, to his mind, bank robbery four years ago. What are you going to do? Well, I asked God for forgiveness. But you know what Al Johnson did? Al Johnson turned himself in. Because he said he had to make that right. And the authorities said, well, Kansas law says we can't charge you. It's been four years. We thought the two guys who did it were killed in a car wreck. We never opened a case, so you're free to go. Al Johnson still paid back almost $300, everything that was given to him. The other two guys, you know, they got off scot-free. In the court of law, they got off scot-free, but not in the court of heaven, which is the only one that matters. But Al Johnson said he was so convicted of his wrong in his past that he had to make it right. You know, revival and revive means God deals with you on a very personal level about your sin. Not anybody else's. Not the person that you think is so wicked and vile in D.C. or in Hollywood or wherever it might be. You. The real challenge for me is is not waiting for God to clean up D.C., The real challenge on my heart is waiting for God to clean me up. Because I know that if if I want to, and I hope to, and I expect God to move, it starts with me. I'm not looking around at anybody today. I'm talking to me. Is God talking to you? So the first letter in that acrostic is revive, uh, repent rather. The second one is exalt Christ using the letter E. I really got to hustle. 
Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Revive, letter R is repent, letter E, do I lift up Jesus? The Bible says, if the Son of Man be lifted up, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw them in unto me. Sometimes we worry about, well, I got I to gotta draw people. No, you don't. You just have to lift up Jesus. It's one of the things that I, I pray often about our service and in working with our songs. And I, I want to make sure that we're lifting up Jesus' name. Because it's a command from Scripture. And I believe that genuinely, we won't see God move as He wants to move. By the way, the Word of God tells us that His, his hands are not shortened. His ears not heavy. Do you, do you think God does not want people saved in 2021 in America? Do you think God looks down at this one singular church in Sherwood, Oregon, and says, I don't want their outreach to succeed? Do you think God doesn't want Kate Brown saved and in heaven? God wants Kate Brown saved and in heaven as much as you and me. Don't ever think otherwise. And God still longs to do that, but he's looking at us, my people. Number one, repent. Number two, lift up Jesus. Thirdly, value Christ. I say this often, I'll not belabor the point, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. When we talk about repent, exalting Christ, valuing Christ, I ask this question often. Do the things of God matter to you? Let me ask you this. What do you think matters to God? I enjoyed when someone sent me the clip of the shots of Dame. You know, Dame time, they sent this shot, so I watched it. In fact, it was so impressive, I watched it three times. But that didn't move God. It wasn't like God said, ooh, check this out. It didn't move God. What matters to God should be the things that matter to us. Well, we know, we know uh, does his word matter? Well, it does to him. I don't, I don't know if it matters to us, but it matters to him. It doesn't matter to our culture. It doesn't matter to our country, but I know it matters to him. It matters to him so much that he said, heaven and earth will pass away. But not this. This won't. So I, I know that in God's kingdom of values, this book matters. Would you agree with me that the Word of God matters? Or do you read it? No, I want you to expose. I want you to bring to light all of this and all the corruption and all that. Do you think God doesn't want to? And by the way, He will one day. It may not be when you want it or how you want it. And the consequences may not be as you think they should. 
and the effect and outcome may not affect anything you wanted it to. The rest assured, God's always right. Truth and justice always prevail. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Know that. But God in heaven is not looking to do things your way and set things in motion for you. It's for Him. And so, what matters to God? Well, I know the Word of God does. I know church matters to God. Because the Bible gave a commandment to those who would preach, and He said, feed the church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. So I know church matters. And we're living in a world where church is minimalized. People distance themselves from church. I don't go to church anymore because of this. Well, I'll tell you what. Church matters to God Almighty. So much so that he said, my son bought it with his own blood. Church matters. I don't think it matters. I can take it or leave it. Then don't ask God to bail us out of our problems when the things that matter to God don't matter to us. You know what else matters? You do. People. People matter. So much so that he died for every last one of them who's ever drawn a breath in human history. That person you despised? Sorry. God loved them as much as he does you. Really? Yes. That person that gets on your last nerves and, oh, I wish they'd just go away somewhere. See, God wants to deal with you and with me. And that's the first step to healing coming. And so he says, well, let's repent. Let's exalt Christ Let's value Christ. The things that matter to God ought to be the things that matter to me. May I say this further? I'm going to get through this, I promise you. Intercede, R-E-V-I-V-E. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayer, intercessions, giving thanks be made for all men. That simply means interceding is going to God on behalf of someone else. Hey, listen, every day... Just about every day, someone will text me, email me, call me, uh, send me a message. Hey, would you pray about this? And I, I, to the best of my ability, and I I try to not forget, most of the time I'll write things down, but I continue to put those things up on my prayer list and I pray for them regularly. If someone in here called me last week, told me a situation, and I haven't stopped praying for that. Every day, multiple times a day since I had a phone call with that individual. That's what interceding is. It is, see, I'm great at praying for Stu because I really like him. More than anybody. I just do. He's great. He's stinking awesome. But that's not intercession. Intercession is me going to God for you. So, so God says, I, I want to do that. I want to revive. But to do that, I need repentance. I need exalting Christ. I need valuing Christ. I need intercession. 
Put your wants at the bottom of your prayer list. It's amazing how that changes things. I say this further. V is volunteer. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said, I hear a my send me volunteer. Yesterday morning, I pull into the parking lot. It's 45 degrees, and there's Jim Castle picking up trash in the ditch. Jim, how old are you? 81. How many times have I asked you to pick up trash? Anybody here told you you need to pick up trash? I hear people all the time saying, hey, let me know if you need anything. And I just mentioned Jim because that was fresh. I know there's others. You know, today after the service... Roger Anderson will walk through and empty all the trash. I told him the other day, I said, I said, you shouldn't be doing that. I said, let me do that. He said, you shouldn't be doing that. I've never asked him to do that. I remember one time said, I know you're a distinguished attorney, had your own practice for many years, but really it it behooves you to empty trash. I never said that. It just does. I got here early this morning, and not long after I got here, Glenn shows up, and he rolls out the PA. Half asleep, but he rolls it out nonetheless. I'm teasing. I could go on and on and on. We'll break things down in a little bit. We'll stack the chairs, and a lot of you will do that. Someone will come behind and sweep the floors. Little is much when God is in it. There's a work for a few. Now there's a work for all to do. Now I think about seeing the Munoz family back there. Thanksgiving vacation. He brought his entire crew here, and we closed down the learning center, and they stripped and sanded those walls in the learning center painted every single one of those rooms and never took a penny. Entire week. His guys were here Thanksgiving Day painting so they could get it done so we could open up the learning center on Monday. Now, I hope I didn't just cost you any of your rewards in heaven because Victor has never asked me to say that. But that's the kind of people, though, they are. And I know I could go on and on, but I'm, I'm telling you what, God is looking for people who say, what can I do? And there is nothing beneath any of us. Volunteer. And the last one. I know I'm going late. Forgive me. Evangelize. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him 
Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Evangelize. If you don't reach your neighbor, who will? Right now, someone in here has somebody that the Spirit of God has just reminded you about. If you don't get them, who will? I'm here today because in 1974, at a lumber company on a Saturday evening, as the gate was closing and we were loading two befores in the back of a pickup truck, a man stepped out and handed my dad a gospel track. Forty-seven years ago, I'm here today because of that man inviting my dad to church. I went to that church the next morning with my parents. I saw Tony, who would become my wife for the very first time that next morning. You don't think that track was a big deal to me? You see, I really want God to do something in our church this year. I really want God to do something in Oregon. I don't want people bailing on our state. I don't. God called me here. I, I, I don't want to see it go down the tubes. You know, everybody tell, oh man, you got to get out of there. Man, you got to go. I, I've, I've had a friend who's looking for churches for me. I told him to shut up. I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not looking to leave where God put me. I, 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 I want Oregon to be better. But it doesn't start with Kate Brown. Yes, it does. No, no. No, it starts with you. And it starts with me. And until I start looking at things like God does, you know what I'm going to get in my town, in my county, in my state, in my country? Same old. God is interested in bringing to light that which is wrong. But he doesn't start at the top. Well, that's what I would do. Man, I'll tell you, I'd blow it all apart. Blow it to pieces. Come on, Linwood. Some of you have no idea who I'm talking about. That's okay, too. Come on. I want George Soros to really go under the gun. I want it all exposed. And God's saying, uh, you know the cat I'm really interested in? I got this guy who pastors in Sherwood. His name's Stuart. If he could get right with me, 
that might be a start. What about you? If my people, my people. Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody looking around, just real quickly. I'm going to give you an opportunity. We haven't had an invitation since we've been back, so I'm going to do one right now. If God spoke in your heart about something, someone, maybe God brought to attention, 